Hello, Cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 249 of Cyclocross Radio. I know what you're thinking. Bill, there was just a media pit that came out like three days ago, and we're already getting another episode? And I say, Cyclocross friend, yeah, that's right, you are. Here's the deal. Uh, I love doing the media pit, man. Getting together with Michael and Zach every week is like the highlight for me. And I think we have some great conversations and run down races and talk about what's going on in cyclocross. But one of the foundations of this podcast was also me doing one-on-one conversations with folks. And I feel like I've let that slip a little bit over the past year or so. So I wanted to get back to that as well. And no better place to start been catching up with Jeremy Powers. I, I I listened to him on the Ruchvin broadcast this morning. Just the the spot on analysis and how great those races were, and it sort of got me stoked to talk. He was generous enough to hop on the line after commentating on those races, and we got to chat. We got to chat about what happened in the domestic scene in the U.S. about the Americans going over to Europe about the races that took place today, what we can look forward to from Namor, which will probably already have happened before you listen to this, but that's okay. And and then looking forward to, to Worlds as well. And Jeremy, having been in the thick of it for so many years and now working on the broadcast side, an absolute American cyclocross legend and always a joy to talk to him. So enough of me rambling on about that. You're going to listen to the episode here in a second. If you haven't already subscribed to the CX Hairs Bulletin, you you can do that. Go to cxhairs.substack.com and you can subscribe. But also, since tis the season and we're coming up on it and shipments may not be able to get delivered, something that can get delivered is a gift subscription, which you can give at at the CX Hairs Bulletin. Again, cxhairs.substack.com. You can give us a gift subscription for just a month or for a year to... All of your cyclocross friends. All right. Check out everything going on at the Wide Angle Podium. Slow Ride Podcast. Really, really good conversation on that last one. I know those guys like to joke around a lot, but they they were, they were hitting some, some pretty uh, salient journalistic points. I know that's really weird to say about this, the Slow Ride Podcast, but I really enjoyed the last episode, so check that out. Along with everything else we have going on at the Wide Angle Podium, uh, become a member there too. Support those shows. They they need it. Go support Nowhere Fast and Criterium Nation and Grodio and Slow Ride and also this show as well. WideAnglePodium.com. All right. It's episode 249 of Cyclocross Radio. We're talking to Jeremy Powers and we're doing that right now. Jeremy Powers. I, I feel like it's been a while, but it really hasn't been that long since we we finished up the USCX and got to got to hang out for a while and those things and and um, you know you jumping back into sort of the American cross scene and getting a, getting a lot more uh, sort of getting re getting back in touch. I know you kept in touch with a lot of the riders, but just being being immersed in it this year, I just you know wanted to. Now that we're done with the US season, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. But dude, before we even do that. Those races this morning, holy cow! The Rook, how is it? Give me the pronunciation. Rookbin, Rook, Rookvin. 
Ruchman. Yeah, I don't know. I go, I go for it. You know, you got to just kind of send it. You might, you might get there. You might not get it right. But, um, but yeah, it was. Um, I, I, I have to tell the story about you know the first night in Rochester at the USCX before we jump into those races because me and me and Bill were a, were a two man team out there. I mean, we had we look, we had video. Bill, Bill was doing stuff. There were a lot of people that made the USCX go forward, but um, but the first night in Rochester, Bill and I are taking some hero shifts, uh, completely outdoors in the gazebo in Rochester, 45, 50 degrees out, doing voiceovers in the dark uh, to get the uh, to get the clips together. So that we could make it for the show the next day on our first run, our first run through. And I, uh, I have a picture of it. I'll, I'll give it to you, Bill, if you don't have it already. But I, I just, uh, you know, it's all for, it's all for the show, man. It's all for the content. And I, uh, I thought that was a really special and fun moment. Cause it just kind of shows, shows the dedication, the passion for it. It's, it's fun. I, I liked that. And uh, so I wanted to mention that about the USCX and it was awesome to be a part of that. I was really, really, really enjoyed that racing and getting to be out there and making a beautiful show for the cross community in the U S and yeah. And then you're up this morning. You're absolutely right. That was, uh, that was amazing. Those were great races. Um, yeah. in the Netherlands, uh, of course that's got a lot of history, but y- you remember Camille Vandenberg. He was a rider that raced. I raced against quite a bit, you know, he's a really nice Dutch guy, um, strong, you know, but he really, he was, yeah, now that he's uh, now that he's out of the scene, he's also got the bug, right? He's got the passion, so he's out there. He puts together this uh, Rukvin course in the Netherlands, and yeah, a different type of track than we normally see, isn't it? Yeah, it was, and you know, I, I think that just because it's the type of thing that we love to do in the U.S., we see the pinwheel, and we're like, hey, we did that, and then we got over it, and then we see it again, and that's every everything that everybody wants wants to talk about. But what it what it what it came down to is just. You know, I think what we always say, the racers make the race and both races great. I think the women's race was a little more tentative throughout the race. So it it seemed like everybody was just sort of hanging out and, and getting a feel for everyone and not really making any dynamic moves until it came down to that last lap. And then it was just the gloves were off. I mean, just... Just I, I I felt a little for Betsima just because she got stuck behind this this roadie train on on terrain that they could really just kind of push those watts being a brand and and Voss and and yeah there was there was really nothing she could do once they started ramping it up. No, uh, she, you know I think I think that with with Braun, you know she's always she's always really pushing the pace on the power sections and she's really she's grown a lot. You know, of course that used to give her a hard time. She's not really finding to be as challenging because she's really developed in so many ways and she's worked on her technique. And I think, I think that's a lot of being with that, with the, with Sven's team, you know, with being with the Balawasa Trek Lions, you know, they do a lot of team training. They've got a, you can just tell they've got a great atmosphere. Everybody really gels. And I don't know, maybe that's what Sven didn't feel like he had as a rider potentially later in his career or something, but he's done a great job at bringing together a group of people that look out for one another. And I think, I think she's grown a lot from doing those trainings with those, with those riders, whether it's, you know, the, the Sven would call explosivity training, um, where they're just going up these steep bits, like trying to get through it or going out and doing the work, uh, at the sand in the sand, you know what I mean? Or getting on and off the bike. There's just a lot of that stuff that even though you're good at it, being great at it, like you saw with Voss today, where she's able to get into her pedals seemingly without ever having getting off her bike. I mean, she's off it so quick, then she's back on it. Um, you know, that's the stuff that that we saw. I saw I saw Voss do it when she did the World Cup um, in in uh, at Trek HQ. The way she won the race, she got back on the bike and she attacked so quick. 
it looked, I mean, it literally looked like she was going in a, you know, a completely different race than the other riders. And it was against Braun. Braun got back on the bike and was kind of heavy on top of the pedals. Voss keeps that high cadence and she just, she exploded after the, the barricades or in this case in the track, it was the little like stair run up. And that's where she opened. I mean, six bike lengths. I think she kind of startled herself how quickly she ran away from them. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff where you're, um, you see it, you watch these races so intently as a, when, when you're doing the commentary and as a fan and you're like, yeah, this is, this is something for Voss. Yeah. And it, it's also something where she finally was able to, to get a, in a cyclocross race, you know, we, we talk about a lot of times where the sprint's not really, the sprint is always before the sprint. You need to be ahead at a certain point before you come into that finish because you're not going around anywhere, anybody. And this was actually a finishing straight that, that gave them an opportunity to have like a full on road sprint. And I, I think Voss was just, just eating that up and was put herself in that perfect position behind, behind Brond. And, um, yeah, I mean, it looked like the end of a road race there. Definitely. You know, and we know that she can kick, you know, she had, I think I said on the contrary, she got two cards to play one that she's like a sniper just lurking in the background, you know, her ability to kind of get on to get on top of the pedals and just jump straight out of it was one, but then she, you know, kind of missed her pedals there in the final. And then instead she was like, Hey, actually I've got another ace up my sleeve. Boom. I can out sprint you. And, um, that's the, that's kind of the problem for the other riders against Mariana Voss is that she, she brings a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of depth. You know, there's not a situation or a race scenario that, that Voss hasn't been in. And most recently she's been really kind of lurking and not riding above her limit. And then, and then kind of pouncing like, um, you know, uh, like, like a Bobcat, you know what I mean? In the final, like, in just like the last like like 45 seconds of a race it's do 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 you know and she's there and she's gone and people are like uh what happened i thought i won you know what i mean um last weekend in val de soleil it didn't it didn't work out because she ended up taking out that post um but that's also you know uh, on the limit on the on the absolute maximum and she just you know uh, nine out of ten times it worked but this was the the time it didn't for her on that case so today it did yeah and it's also i mean with with Voss, I think that the test also is going to be tomorrow as well, because I think, at least in years past, if there's if there's one knock on her, it's always that she's not as good in the super technical stuff. And you take a course like Namor, which you know very well, and you know maybe that's maybe that's where she has to prove herself. I mean, we can go back to even like her against Katarina Nash years ago, and and basically losing the race on that on that tricky off camber. You know that that classic uh, spot in the moor. So I think that's a uh, that is really that's going to be I think what we see with Voss how she's riding now. Really, really the test to see if she's in that in that in that position where she's as good as everybody else as far as skills go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see kind of who comes out to, to really be kind of the big climber of the bunch at this point. You know, there's a lot of girls that are strong right now. I, I really believe that this is kind of the highest level we've ever seen. I mean, truthfully, if Hansinger is able or Rochette are able to kind of get over the jet lag and get the, and get the cobwebs kind of blown out today, tomorrow's a really good opportunity for both of them. I mean, both of them are great climbers and they have different skills. I think specifically though, talking about Hansinger, if she finds her, her kind of her rhythm after getting off the flight and coming back from the U S she could, this is definitely something that she can do really well on as a kind of a dark horse, I would say, because if you look at the other tracks that she's had success on, 
they kind of all look like this. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, Havre, um, which is now in February, I believe February 12th. Um, last year she, you know, she t- overtook Alvarado there. And then you look at, um, you look this year at the Koppenberg and, you know, that's just such a classic with a lot of climbing and really, really heavy track. Uh, she does well on these very rhythmic sort of, uh, old school mountain bike style tracks where it's big climb, you know, very technical descent running climb heavy track. Um, you know, the climbing stuff and the, in the lower cadence stuff, she does, uh, she does exceptionally well in. Yeah. And this, you know, last year at Namur, her breakout year, the second, second place in, in that, in that race really put her on the map and everybody was like, Oh, who's this? And I I think that to have hopefully going back to that, you know, and, and again, yeah, getting this sort of shakeout race today, maybe, maybe tomorrow she'll just be ready to roll. At least we hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I, I, I kind of glazed over that, but yeah, the last year was pretty phenomenal. I remember listening to the interview, you know, I think, and she's grown so much in one year, hasn't she? You know, that, that was kind of like one of her first European interviews, you know, she's talking like about kind of the history of Americans racing in Europe and how she wants to hold up that, you know, kind of that, that, that crown and do all this great racing over there. And, um, and now, you know, it's, it's practically every weekend that she's in, she's in there. Well, that's a, maybe a little bit of an exaggeration. She's doing great. <laughs> she's doing really good. Yeah, I want to I want to put a pin in the uh, the American uh, just because I I really do want to get your thoughts just on on the whole process of going going from nationals and and heading heading over and jumping right into into a European competitive competitive uh, landscape. But before we do that, we got to talk about this men's race from today because what a what a battle and uh, Tom Pidcock, you know, always. You know, we talk about wow. We talk about Vanderpool last year. It was this this third sort of that third ring to the circus was Pitcock coming in there and going, "Hey guys, um, I'm here too." And all of a sudden, just catapulted to, you know, you, you, you sort of. I mean, do we should we feel bad for the Belgian riders who just raced cyclocross where you got these people coming in? No, maybe not. But yeah, you get this other guy coming in who all of a sudden is like, "Oh no, I do this sport too." And by the way, I'm better than all of you except for maybe these other two guys that are part timers. Just. And, and just today, just, I, I don't know, he, um, you all were talking about on the broadcast, you had the whole team tactics thing going on there, the whole Powell saws and, you know, group, I think they had four guys up there at one point and Pidcock's just got to work it out amongst all of them and just, just plays it perfectly. I mean, just plays it perfectly. You know, we can even talk about like at the end of that race where you're looking at, at, uh, at 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 uh, Michael Vantorn out, and I I was comparing him to Checo from uh, F one. You know, he's 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 kind of got the job of playing defense uh, for his guy up front, and he couldn't do it. You know, I know we didn't see it, we didn't see the pass, but he couldn't do it. He just could not slow Pidcock down and and get in there. Just just fantastic racing. Yeah, it was really good. It was, yeah, it was great. You know, it's weird too because because when you look at when you look at the the guys that are racing in the front, it's not. Uh, there was a, maybe it was two seasons ago. I don't remember exactly when it was, but Vanderpool come in. It was a really kind of technical track. Easterbit, you could tell, wanted to string it out early. And Vanderpool, after 10 minutes, was like, hey, this is fun, but like, you know, (laughs) like he wasn't even in third gear yet. You know, he was like a a BMW M5 doing 100 miles an hour in second gear, and there was still three to go. Do you know? I was just saying, Namur, I think it was, where he kind of played Wout, too. Like, Pitcock went out there, and he just kept looking at Wout, and finally Wout was like, fine, I'll go get him back. And then it was just like, he was like, hey, thanks for the ride. See you later. That was quite possibly one of the greatest races that has happened in modern times. Sometimes you watch a race, or you're calling a race, and you don't understand its its depth until 
you rewatch or you understand what happened out there. Those were those were two kings or three kings, you know, and then include Tonatz in there as well. You know, these these guys were. This was a boxing match that went to the tenth round. Do you know what I mean? People were getting people were getting knocked out and getting back up. Uh, that was a beautiful, beautiful race. Really, really challenging course. Heinous conditions. Uh, we're talking about Namur and 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 um, man and and I, I I don't Vanderpool kind of held his head in his hand after that. I don't even know that he believed uh, that he had won. I think he had thought he lost it. And really, it was down to Wout kind of being, I don't know, as I recall it anyway, being a little bit overambitious and kind of um, not, playing his, not playing his tactics quite right, which allowed Vanderpool to, to kind of capitalize on that. And then, and then yeah, it went down that way. But, but um, in this case, with the race today, that Pidcock one, you know, the guy makes, the guy makes history by being, well, not, not just that. The 2013 edition of Namur was the last time that Francis Mouret had won um, a World Cup. And then now, you know, a Belgian rider's won pretty much all of them since. So it's, it's well, a Belgian or a Dutch guy, but a non, really a non-Belgian or Dutch guy, you know, is, is um, to win a World Cup is kind of like, okay, uh, this is crazy. Now Pidcock comes in and then today just completely kind of snipers himself right at the final and the way he did it was yeah it was um it was amazing because if you if you know how fast he jumped the barriers to be able to go past user bit you you in in real life you would not it looked like it looked like it was in fast forward on television that's that same thing that happens in a basketball game when someone shoots the half court but they don't do it just once they do it all the time they're always shooting from half court and they hit it you know that's talent that's the thing that's like, you just can't make that stuff up. His ability to ride those barriers twice as fast as Easterbit and pass him two up going into the last turn of a race, that's his sixth gear. You know, that, that in my mind, that's the talent. That's the thing that people saw in Tom Pidcock as a young rider, and that's what's allowed him to be at the top step. That's what allowed him to be the mountain bike, um, you know, Olympic champion. That's what's allowed him to win races on the road. He has a different, when it's going hard, he can put his head down and he can go, actually, I'm willing to suffer more than you. I'm willing to take more risk than you and I'm going to do it and I'm going to execute when I do it. That's, yeah, and that's what happened today. Well, I, I think the, the risk part of that is, is really important because you, we, I think we were all surprised when, when he was being interviewed after the race and he's like, I just, I could not corner and I was losing time in all of the turns and they were just better than me. And then that last lap, he com- just, like threw caution to the wind and he is just was putting on a a cornering masterclass in in the lines that he was taking the last three turns just those wide lines where Ezerbeat he had he had Ezerbeat rattled you could tell by the way he was right he was he was tripoding through those turns he was trying to to get to everything as fast as he could Pitcock's taking the better line taking a little more risk possibly but setting himself up for for the entry into those planks and just crushing it there. You know, and, and that's, that's that, that maturity that he's like, all right, I was able to, you know, race safe the whole time and just keep everybody in check. And then just being able to unleash it on that final lap. I, I just, it was, it was so neat to see. I just, just such a great performance. Yeah. That's, I mean, this is a, one of the best riders, you know, in the world uh, at the, at this moment, you know, really putting it down, kind of everything, putting it all together and riding a race that, uh, that we all got to watch, you know, and sit back and kind of just, uh, take notes on, because I don't know, when I look at, when I look at Pidcock, we know on paper, but it's those kinds of things, you know, it's the mountain bike race. If it, yeah, you always think, oh man, he's good, but just 
doing it is so it's, I, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to fan out too hard. It's just the, the barriers all in the last moments of the race and then the sprint finish. And when you, when you let that guy out of the nest, man, he can, he can flap his wings and he could go. He, he, he absolutely motored and, um, he won that race in, in just, you know, similar to the way that Voss did. Voss just didn't execute at the same level. Like it was, yeah, he, he, re, he nailed the whole thing. He out bunny hopped, and then he also he also out sprinted, and you know, like I said on the on the broadcast, you know, Easter beat was great, but um, but he just wasn't good enough today. Unfortunately, he was he was better. You know, he had a better guy, and and it was interesting because Easter bit said actually I was better than him, except for in the last round, I needed the race to be shorter. And unfortunately, that's not the way <laughs> that's not the way it goes. Right? We know the laps, and uh, the, the you, you know you set the laps, and you know the laps, and you got to race the race the way it is. But Ezerbit may have technically on the corners and stuff because he spends so much more time on his cross bike. He might have had an advantage in that regard, but um, but not when you not when you bust the Porsche out out of the garage like that. It's it's Pidcock for sure in the final that he's able to do what he did. One of the things with Ezerbit, and again, you know, I don't I don't want to get myself in in trouble here trying to. Uh, explain to Ellie Ezerbeat how to ride his bike. I, <laughs> you're in a better position uh, than I am when it when it comes to that. But but what I what I will say is that when we are looking at him, if there is something that I can be critical with him, and it's kind of crazy because you know you were at the you were at the forefront of this. You were a guy who was was riding planks pretty early on before it became it was still almost a novelty before it became a skill you had to have to compete at the highest level. So now we're beyond that. We're at the point now where you not only have to be able to ride planks in a race at pace, but you have to have, you have to do it at a, at a high pace. You you have, it has a skill not only that you have to have, but you have to be good at it. And we look at Ezer Beach specifically and I can I can name three races. I, two at Tabor, you know, twenty twenty Tabor, twenty twenty one Tabor. He lost the race to his teammate Michael Van Torn out because he wasn't fast enough over the planks. And then this year, Lars Van Haar ran faster than he rode the planks. And then today, we see it again where he's not coming in there with the same pace and 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 loses the race there. So it's it's just kind of again, it's 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 not something I'm not being credible critical of Ezerby, but it's just interesting that this is a skill that of all of his strengths, this may be something that if he improved, he'd be more competitive, at least in, in, in that handful of races. Right. Well, it's interesting too, because not only that, I mean, I, having been out at the races to, to watch the races when we were out at the US uh, CX races and the Europeans were over for the World Cup in Iowa that I was at, you know, I saw some of the American riders, uh, you know, following um, some of the European riders. And if you want to know, if you're watching the race and you want to know where five seconds or three three to four seconds goes, you just watch the difference in the pace that the Europeans go over the barriers. And we're not even talking about what Pitcock or Vanderpool do over the barriers. That, that literally is like a whole nother thing. But what just Easterbid or Michael Van Tornhout are doing over the barriers is like, these guys are going fast. You know, there's there's a high, this is a high risk reward scenario I would even put myself in that category of like the North American guys that couldn't, couldn't bunny hop like that. I used to tap the planks. I used to come in. I never loved to just send it. It wasn't also necessary. Cause like you said, when I first started, it just wasn't part, it wasn't part of the whole thing. Even though I'm not like some, you know, old guy, I am, I am from a completely different generation than these guys. And so, you know, now the status quo is you hop those planks fast. 
And the faster you do it, the better you are. And there's not even probably, I would say, a centimeter of, of mistake happening in what Pidcock did at the end there. You know, he hits that early. He airs the bike out long before he gets to it, which allows him to hit just after, you know, the length of the bike. Then he's already launching again. It's just a dit and he's already there, and he's doing it fast. You know, you, you really... The hand-eye coordination, the the skill, you know, the the rods in one's eyes are really working at a hundred percent, and um, those uh, reflexes and that that ability to pull that off in that moment with your heart rate so high in the you know penultimate moment of the race, you know, yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing, and and you can you, you can say you're not an old guy, but we all we all see the the national championship bike behind you with the cantilever brake, so. Different generation for sure. Sorry, it's true. <laughs> I know. It was. Uh, it was. It was amazing. Those the cantilever bikes were. There's. There's a. I don't know. I could go on forever about this. There's just something about the lightness of the wheels and the speed that you could get the bike back up to. Um, that was so nice in cyclocross at that time. Um, the disc brakes. They still are. They're. They're harder to get up to speed. But the difference is, is that everyone is using disc brakes now, you know, Sven hung on for a long time when he was, you know, he was like racing at 38 and he's like, Hey, for this race, I really want my canties because you know, there's, there was a performance advantage. It just, even if it wasn't like real, real mentally, you're just your ability to get the bike back up to speed very quickly and punch it out of the turns. But the truth is, is that the braking power is, is one tenth of what a disc brake has or more. And, um, you know, the courses now have evolved enough that I think for most of the tracks, you probably, I don't know. I think if you, if everyone was on cantilevers or whatever, you know, regular rim brakes, it would still be there. But unfortunately, no one's using this technology anymore. It's, it's dead in road racing and it's definitely not on the off-road side. It's, it's completely vanished now. I, I, for me, it was, I forget which, which race it was. It was early in Vanderpool's career, but you know, he was on, on disc brakes and it's this off camber to this right-hand turn and everybody's going high. He was taking this low line, just like passing, you know, six, eight guys. And then there was this little gap once they made this turn that he just kind of drifted into, just sort of like slid his bike in there and then, you know, got in line and went. And I was like, you're not doing that on cantilever brakes. This is, this is a whole new sport now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember too, when I had an advantage, when everyone was using, uh, Canty brakes and I was early on disc. I had both machines. Um, we were lucky at that time. Focus was producing. Um, Focus was producing a disc bike. So when we went over to Namur in these Euro races, I was late braking everybody and I was out riding them because the courses hadn't evolved with the disc brakes. So there were cases where I'd ride the the Canties like at a race. Um, you know, in the Netherlands, I forget. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's uh, it's where Amstel Gold is. Can't remember right now. My brain has already pulled up a ton of a ton of info today. Um, anyways, and I, I think I ran eighth there, but I remember being on Canties, and it was probably on this bike actually, or one of these bikes. And you know, and I ended up uh, I ended up really doing well there because there wasn't a ton of braking that it was necessary. But I remember we went to Tabor. You have these big, long, wide open descents. You could just hit it. The guys on on Canties having a break, you know, a minute before they get there to start to scrub speed so that they could get through the turn. I'm there. 10 seconds before I hit the turn, just, and then like, you know, just kind of come in the inside dive bomb, four or five guys, you know, and I end up with one of the, one of the better results I had at the world cup level. So, you know, there's a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of ups and downs, but now that everyone's on the same, you know, the same kind of, uh, equipment all around, it's, um, it's quite a bit, it's quite a bit different. So. Yeah. Talk, talking about going back to, to that time in your career, I think you, 
can relate to what we're seeing. You know, we talked about Hansinger earlier and specifically for her. You know, she came into cyclocross nationals this year. We didn't have nationals last year. So she's been hanging on to that jersey. You know, basically this is, you know, one year get it, one year not having to defend it and then coming back. And, you know, she said she felt the pressure. You know, I, I think we've we've heard it from, you know, I mean, we heard it from Hyde on his first time. You probably said the same time the first time you read, nobody wants to be a one-hit wonder. You know, you want to... You want to be able to 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 show that that this was this was for real. This wasn't a fluke, and just feeling the pressure from that, and coming to the U.S. and just feeling the pressure to win. And I know that that's something that that you can relate to. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone's uh, prepared for that. I don't know why. Um, Clara is a little different because she's not really been challenged um, in the U.S. by a lot of by a lot of riders. Magalie is a different story, but she's you know she's from Canada, so so that's uh, you know on North American soil she definitely has competition, and she's definitely got it from the European riders that have made their made themselves here. And you know I don't think all of the North American riders you know came out this year, like um, but still Clara is a little bit you know one step one step above most um, in in terms of development and engine. She's just a little bit ahead, and I, I don't think anyone would argue with me on that. That's not me being rude. I think that's just the reality of where, where things are at. Um, but you know, the, anything can happen in a bike race. You can have a mechanical nationals, uh, you know, despite being the best, sometimes it, it just goes sideways. There was a championship that I thought I was, you know, the uh, lap times wise and, and, um, you know, mentality and everything. I thought I was the best, but I, I came around that turn and there's that famous picture of Todd Wells T-boning me, uh, in bend. And, you know, I, I lost my focus for one second. I went down in this, in this greasy turn in this mud pit in bend. And then, you know, the brake, the cancel ever brake got stuck underneath the rim and I, I just couldn't get it out. I just couldn't get it out. 45 seconds, 55 seconds passed every lap time before. And every lap time after that mistake, I, I rode the fastest lap of the day. I didn't win the race. I ended up third, you know, it was Todd won, Trebon got second and I got third. You know, sometimes you're the best. You, you just, or on paper, but you don't put it together. You know what I mean? And that's the reality of a national. So, so I see her, I see the pressure. I know why she felt it. You know, she's been champion for two years, but she's also really done a lot of, um, a lot of, a lot of, uh, pride to that Jersey. I think, you know, she's worn it well. She's won in Europe against the best women in the world. She's, you really put it up on a pedestal. And I think that she deserves to be the national champion. I don't think anyone would disagree with that right now. So win, lose, or draw. I know we want to win these big championship races because they mean a lot to the sponsors. They mean a lot to you and your legacy and stuff. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm not exactly sure. I think she, she's kind of just got to go out there and do what she does. And she's probably going to be, uh, have a couple more national titles at this moment anyways. But, um, you know, and then on the men's side, yeah, it's a lot, that's a lot, that's a totally different story. There's, there's a lot of guys that could have won that race, I think. Um, and a lot of pressure and a lot more, you know, a lot more nerves on that start line for sure. in the U S side, anyhow. Yeah. T- sticking with Clara, just, just for a, for a second, I want, I want you to put your, uh, your coaching hat on here for a, for, for a minute, because I, I think, you know, rightfully or wrongfully. So, and, and, and something that she was aware of and did not do in the nationals is she's been knocked for her poor starts and knocked for kind of going backwards at the start, especially in these European races, and then kind of dieseling it out and being able to just pick off riders as she goes national. She didn't do that. She was pretty much out, out, um, on front after the, after the first lap. But what's, What's your take on it? I mean, I I know every Masters dude in the U.S. has a take on it, uh, but you you come from a different position on this and may have some actual um actual uh, uh 
of feedback that that could could maybe help us understand more what's going on or even what she she should work on or improve or does she even have to as far as those starts go tough to say tough to say you know and i think with her She's got her strengths and she's looking at, um, she's looking at what she can do to be better. And it's, it's definitely at the top of the list. I think the start situation is for Clara is probably one that she's kind of feeling like, you know, it's the same with not, it's the same at being 27 years old, having been and been a very consistent racer that's won a lot and then not winning a national title. It's like, well, where's the title? You know, where are the championship races? Where's the world championship podium or the or world championship good finish? You know, it's just like, for some reason, you know, you get championship riders, you get, you know, you get really good riders. Even Sven could be knocked for that. You know, he won a lot of races. In fact, more than probably just about anybody, but championships wise, you know, a guy like Wout Van Aert or, or Vanderpool, you know, they've got more in, in, in half the amount of time that Sven was racing so far. So it's, you know, you look at it and you're like, well, you know, the, the pressure to perform sometimes can get the best of you and you have to grow. And Claire is still young. You know, she's still young. She's got something to improve on, which I always think is a good problem to have. You know, if you had nothing to improve on and you were already doing everything perfectly, then there wouldn't be any room for growth. So I think if Claire looks at like, hey, where can I gain 5% on my racing capability? You know, it's, it's definitely in the, it's definitely in those, in the starts. And I think she knows that we know it. She's definitely made improvement this year. They haven't all gone perfectly. I'm not sure what it is, but it's definitely a limiter for her in some in some cases. And in other cases, she's just riding so much stronger than the other girls that it, it ends up being kind of like, hey, on a course like today, though, you unfortunately, you can't have that bad lap early on because it's just too fast. There's not enough time to get back on the track. Um, you know, there's not, there's not 10, 12 seconds per lap that you can get back. Of course, like tomorrow, you're going to see 20, 30 seconds get shed per lap very fast, easily. You know what I mean? The gaps will be big. There'll only be 15 or 16, 20 maybe finishers tomorrow, 25 max, I'd say. Um, based on historic stuff, depends on how it rides, but there won't be as many finishers. There may be ha- you know, 50% of the field will start because the other half, unfortunately, will be pulled by the time cut because it's such a demanding track. That is something that Hansinger could do really well at. And I think she's got a, um, you know, she's got, she's got some things that she's not great at, but she's really, she's really is great at a lot of things. And so she has to, she has to bet on those strengths and, and develop the other ones. And I would say from a coaching standpoint, cause that's what you asked, you know, you get a, you get a nice camera and you do some slow motions of your start. That's the best thing you could do. You, you take a look at kind of how you're either not getting in your pedals, what you're doing that's not working against what someone else is doing. You know, the beauty of kind of where she's at in the sport is that she's actually on the front row and she's actually getting, she's actually can go back and watch the tape about what the other girls are doing better than she is and draw some conclusions on what she could change potentially about her, either her warm up routine or how she's getting into the pedals at the start. She's only going to know that her coach is going to know that and they're going to, you know, they can work on that and, and make it better and refine it. It's a kind of a good problem to have. It seems to me anyways, I don't, I'm not Clara Hansinger and I don't, (laughs) <laughs> you know, I don't talk to her every single day, but from the conversations I had, it's definitely on her radar. And I think, I think it is nice. Cause it is, like I said, something that she can, she can work on and get better at. Yeah. And it's, and for tomorrow, you know, I think we've seen from those no more starts that first 10, first 15, you know, you actually had that, had that opportunity. I think to get a whole shot once in the more, which was a uh, pretty sweet, it, it, you're, you're safe. But after that, you know, you may be dismounting up that, that first section. And then af- if she's through there safe, what we've seen from her, you know, similar to her win at Copenberg cross is that she can just take time out of people on those climbs. And it, you know, especially another cobbled climb that she can really take advantage of. So that, 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 that should be good, good to see. And, uh, you know, shifting over, over to the men, it's kind of, you know, we do have Clara out front and she's an amazing champion and it's great to, to follow her on the men's side. It is kind of cool that, that 
it is the the competition in the U.S. is pretty darn strong, and you get a guy like Eric Bruner who, if if you're a cyclocross nerd like myself, like you are, you you know who this guy is. You you followed him. You know that he's strong, and this was was not a surprise by any stretch of the imagination. But it's it's new blood up there, and it's uh it's really neat, and I think it keeps it, it exciting, and it keeps uh it keeps guys like Curtis and like Carrie and like Gage hungry when they're like, okay, well, you know, we got, we got another, another, another person to deal with. So I I think that that was, that was a fun race to watch and just, just to see, I don't know if it's a changing of a guard, but just another, another guy, you know, staking his claim. Yeah, it's it's it'd be interesting if if um if Eric was uh, in Europe right now how he would how he would go off his form. You know, I I do respect his decision to not go over. Uh, you know, we got a pandemic going on as one thing, and then two, you know, he did a big road season and he said he kind of came in and he was cooked. The guys that have been watching him sort of develop. You know, when we saw him at the USCX, we really had kind of a year off of American racing. You know, he we we didn't see a lot of guys racing and we didn't get to see kind of what their development path was. The last time he raced nationals in Tacoma, he won as an under 23, just so to start there. And then, you know, he comes in. We don't, I don't, the courses were different from one to the next, but he raced a good race and he raced against guys that wanted to win too. You know, there were a lot of good under 23s that year that wanted to win. Um, and it was stiff competition. You know, he jumps up to the elite ranks kind of through the pandemic and here he is now. And, um, he's kind of grown, you know, his body has grown more. And that's always the question you wonder when a Logan Owen comes out or, a you know, another young rider that's kind of this phenom as a young rider is actually not, not how good they are at this one moment, but it's actually how much can they grow from where they are? It's like, uh, they're still, they're still a young, you know, young man. They really have a lot of time to still develop as a rider and they do it at different times. In this case with Kerry and Curtis, those, that this is them. They're, they're at their level, even, you know, Van and Ham and, you know, not to take anything away from any of them, but like maybe Lance Hydette still grows an inch and, you know, gets a bigger motor in the next coming years. You know, he's also a championship rider, Hydette. He's done really well at championship races. Brunner, um, but if we go back to the USCX races and what he did this year, he did some races that no one else did. Uh, he raced and he won at races that this competition was really stiff. If you go back and you watch the USCX uh, race that's on, uh, it's on demand. You can go back and watch it um, on GCN that uh, Bill and I helped out with. You know, it, it's uh, Brunner loses his chain, I believe, at the top of the climb, has a mechanical of some something. He's in the front group. He's riding in the front group with some of the best European riders, right? Then uh, he's not in the race for majority of it. The last lap, you just see him storming down the start finish line. He reconnects and then he ends up third. You know, I said it to him in the, in the post-race interview, dude, that's the best race I've ever seen you do. And it, and it's a, it's a really was, it was the, not only the best race I ever saw him do. It also told me that he was riding at the top 10, like world cup level. It was a big, it was a really big ride that night. It just didn't seem like things were kind of matching up for where he was at. But, um, but nationals, no, it sounded like he faded a little teeny bit in the last round, but he also he also rode the race pin to pin. What, what how much more was there to give? You know, he's like, hey, I, I, start, I started from the start. You know, you can't really take anything away from the guy. He rode it. He rode a great race, and um, it will be interesting to see how how the other guys react because that means that the level is going to be higher and it's going to continue to push everybody up, which is a good thing. Yeah, for sure. So you were talking about the USCX series, and I I know we're. I'm kind of j- jumping all around here, but you know, we, <laughs> that's that's what I love about it. We never know, never know where the conversation <laughs> is going. But but it does. That's probably on me. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh no no, I, it's not like I had a plan. Uh, <laughs> but I do want to talk about. I mean, maybe 
getting a little more existential as, as, as we do sometimes when we talk about U.S. cyclocross. But we had the USCX. We have the World Cups back there. We have worlds in the U.S. Kind of just almost a temperature check on on where we're at for u.s cyclocross and and maybe as a as a jumping off point i'll i'll put this out here i i was actually i did a interview with for a publication um international publication they're looking for somebody to talk about cyclocross in the u.s i seem to be the guy so they came and one of the things that i was asked was if worlds in the u.s meant as much this time as it did in Louisville. And you know, I, I had to give an honest answer that I, I don't think it did. I, I don't think it even comes close because when we had Worlds in Louisville, it was just groundbreaking. It was the world coming to the U.S. You know, it, it, it wasn't, it, it elevated cyclocross to such a level and got people so excited about cyclocross and everybody went to worlds and everybody sort of went out there jazzed. And I think we really were continuing to ride this wave of, of cyclocross as one of the biggest participation sports and just something that everybody was excited about. We're almost in a point now where we are hurt by what we have. We're we're almost spoiled in that if you want to go see the best in the world race cyclocross, we've been able to do that for the past several years with the World Cups. We have three World Cups in the US. We can see the greatest riders in the world three separate times. When the first World Cups came, everybody I know said, I'm going to Waterloo and then I'm going to Iowa City. No question about it. I'm going to these races. I never know if I'm going to be able to experience this again. This may be a one-off and it's done. And then they come back the next year and we're like, all right, we're going back. And then they came back the next year. It was like, well, maybe I'll go to one and maybe I'll watch the other one on TV. So I just, I don't think that that impact is the same for worlds. And it worries me a little bit, Jeremy. Well, you bring up a good point. Um, I mean, it's tough. You know, we got a lot of things going on right now. The world's in a the world's in a, a little bit of a hard place with regards to you know public gatherings. Although we do benefit from them being outside, of course, in this case, and you know, it's not like it's a track event where everything's inside and we've got a raging pandemic. We've got, you know, we've got people that are in theory vaccinated, you know, spectating an outdoor event and in a you know place that's probably going to be fine with that in Arkansas. So let's let's let, if we if we jump that hurdle first and we talk about the bigger picture. Um you know I think I think that the you're you're absolutely right that the fanfare there are different characters in the racing now though also. You know and they've all come back and they'll all be there. I think that I have to say if Pidcock, Vanderpool, uh Wout Van Aert, Mariana Voss, Lucinda Braun, you know, all want to come out. And there's a lot more riders. I'm just kind of going off the top of my head here. There's there's truly probably you know, five, five on the men's side and well, even longer maybe. But there's also there's also probably eight on the women's side that could potentially win the world title. The question that I always come back to is, as a group, do the riders have enough value to attract fans to come to the races? And the way that that's played out in my mind is that Yes. <laughs> and the thing that I always said, like if I actually go back and I, I kind of look at like exit interviews from when I retired, 
my dream was always that I would be able to help still push cross. That was always the goal with behind the bears. That was always the goal. I love cross. I want people to like it too, but it's not at that time accessible. You cycle cross magazine, you know, Velo news at the appropriate time, maybe cycling news like these, these guys do some, you know, passive, you know, Hey, uh, Pitcock's in, he's winning. Hey, here's an interview kind of thing. Uh, but to really understand the sport, to be, really be a fan, you got it. You got to follow. You got to understand the personalities. You got to get there. It's only really in the last, Oh, I don't know. Truly on the last 18 months that we get English interviews on a broadcast with the European riders. It's only now that you get a Wheeler Flitz or yourself doing an interview with the European riders at a level that's consistent enough to understand what's actually going on with them. So riders naturally are just going to be quick and they're going to be like, hey, this doesn't matter. But if you build it, the hope is that they will come. So while it was amazing that Sven Nace and Francis Mouret and um, you know Lars Vanderhaar were all you know top dogs, and then there was all of the American riders that had really built up this scene at that time here in the U.S. When they came to Louisville, you had the great women riders. You know you had Mariana Voss, you had um, you know Prevost, you had all these riders that were just tearing it up and coming into the scene and really wanting to do a good race in Louisville. Um, that was a first, that was a huge moment in, in the history of the sport to have all the riders come over here to fight for the biggest kind of the, this like very elusive, you know, rainbow stripes on, you know, on American soil was like, it was crazy. And that, if you talk about pressure, man, that was like, that was the biggest pressure cooker I think I've ever been in. And, um, now, you know, while it is a big thing, the, I would say kind of just the cash, it's, it's just casual now. Like, Hey, we go to the States to race cross and we, as a group, you know, if we're talking mainly to, you know, North American, I don't know where your listener base is from, but let's just hypothetically say they're from, they're from North America. If we look at what we've done, um, as a group, I think we have made a real impact on the sport of cyclocross. We've got people to understand what the heck is going on out there. We're talking to the best riders in the world. We're giving them a place to be able to talk and we've pushed up the sport and we've opened up another market that has viability as this sport grows. And as we look at races like last week in Nivelle de Soleil, where we talk about the Olympics and things like that, that should be the vision is how do we make this sport exciting? How do we bring it to people and let them be fans of it? That's always been my thinking. And I think that we are definitely in a different place, but it's still a really good place. And I would not want to ever get to a place where I think like, oh, let's just take this for granted because, you know, like they were saying today on this interview, it's like, Wout's got, you know, just maybe five weeks after, you know, the cyclocross world, he's got the, one of the biggest races of, you know, his time, like the, the, these classic races are things that he really wants to do well at. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of opportunities for these riders. And I think that them taking a transatlantic flight, you know, when really a lot rests on it, you know, it is a big, it is a big moment and it's, it's a different type of battle than the last time we were here 10 years ago, but it should be, it should be really exciting. I think if you're a fan of the sport. Yeah, I, I absolutely, it's going to be exciting. And I, I, you know, I, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with it, just not wanting to take it for granted. That's, that's kind of my point. I think that we're, again, it's, it's, we're in that great place where we do get to see all of these top quality riders come over here every year, especially with the expanded world cup. The, the other part of it, and maybe just the sport itself has changed, but you know, I, I, I knew you when to the lead up for, for worlds when it was in Louisville and you were a maniac for that. Like that, that, ruled your world was performing well in that world championship. I mean, we don't have to, you know, <laughs> relitigate that it didn't turn out the way that you would have loved for it to turn out, but you basically 
sacrificed a year of your life to do well at that world championship. And I'm not sure, and maybe I just don't know the players as well now, but I'm not sure that that same level is happening amongst even the American athletes that it's like, hey, we got worlds in the U.S. This has to be like something that is is the number one priority for us. Gosh. Yeah, it's tough. I don't want to... Um... I don't. I, know, want I don't to mean to put you in a hard place. Trash, <laughs> right? <laughs> I think for someone like Clara or for someone like Magalie Rochette, I think I'll, I'll I'll phrase it like this: I think they will feel that. I think they will feel that pressure, unfortunately. But that's part of being a top bike rider, and that's that's what I talk about when I'm talking about Mariana Voss never being in a position in a race where she doesn't feel like she's already experienced it once. You know what I mean? Voss is going to look at this and be like, "Hey, the world's are in the Netherlands. Cool. This is my 14th time doing this." You know what I mean? That's what she gets to have of her sleeve. She on the other side, right? She's like third. How old is she? I don't know. She's older than most of the riders. Some of the riders weren't even born when she was winning races. Um, so the, the the point that I would make here is that like someone like Hansinger. Uh, someone like Magalie Rochette, you know, North American uh, riders that are going to be coming here with a lot of extra intensity, kind of being on home soil or about as close as it's ever going to get for a world championship. When you look at what Blevins, Chris Blevins did at the World Cup finals in, um, World Cup final, excuse me, in West Virginia, that's kind of the story. It's like, it takes a lot to knock that grand slam, to win at a World Cup against the best riders in the world on U.S. soil for the national champion and the world champion in his case, that is, that's that kind of that Pitcock stuff that I'm talking about that happened earlier today. For Hansinger, it's a good course for her. She's ridden well here. She can do something. She's got the pedigree. It's the same for Rochette, you know? So we got to, you know, you got to think about it like that. How, who's there? I think, you know, for the men, a little different. None of them have really been on that podium or even looking at the podium yet, just... I mean, I'm just being honest. So the expectation that they place on themselves is let's have a good race. This should be status quo is a big moment. I want to be a part of this moment. I want to put out my best effort, but they're not necessarily feeling the pressure that those other riders are. Yeah, for sure. I think Gage Heck probably looking at the guy is in heavy conditions who did the best there. I think he got sixth place in that World Cup. Again, you know, some some missing players in there. But yeah, I I, I think that's 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 a good good way to look at it. And I do think that Hansinger and, and Rochette, because they know that they can, can be up there and have experienced it this year, will definitely feel that pressure. And I'm not, I, I don't, I don't want to couch this as I'm saying there people aren't committed or putting in the time. It just seemed like the, the focus was, was a lot greater. And maybe it just is just the way everything is different. Even, even from the, the media landscape where we're just looking at so many different things now that it doesn't it doesn't sort of hone hone in on that but yeah we had we had more guys though it was weird we had more guys i think really focused there's two things one it you're right it is it is a little bit of Curtis White spent more time last year in Europe than I probably spent collectively in two years. You know what I'm saying? So, like, if you talk about dedication-wise, it's, it's a little bit there. I would make that argument, you know, because he he really, if he wanted a race, he had to go last year. Hacked didn't right? Brunner this year didn't. They don't have to because there's enough There's enough good racing here. Brunner's like, hey, I actually get to spend time at home at Christmas and I get to recharge my batteries and then I get to come into the world like, you know, like literally at my best. That's beautiful. I'm not knocking him for that. I think when I look at what we did, the World Cup, you know, was, what was it, seven rounds max? You know, the year that I placed in the top 10 of the World Cup was seven rounds. You know, it's not that, that's easy now. I mean, now it's t- literally 
twice plus one of that, it'll end up being 14 at the end with one canceled round at the moment. That's a different thing. So those guys can't really, you know, they can't really look at what what was what what we were doing because we had the USGP, we had so much like media and coverage and all the domestic and yourself, everyone was doing great work, like really pushing the sport up. These riders now all have to use their own media channels. You really have to care, or they have to follow something like this to be able to follow the racing, to be able to follow them. And then those riders aren't making the front group. I think that that's where, you know. Tim had a handful of results. Ryan had a handful of results at that level that made you believe. Engage really the first time, you know, this year where I think he rode eighth. You know, it's the first right. time that we've we've been able to see a guy in the top ten and it blew the internet up. You know, Gage is all of a sudden he's an eighth. So so I mean that's that's great. You're right. It's those glimmers, that 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 glimmer. But I'm not sure also, I hate to say this. I'm also not sure that there is the um, financial support that there once was in Cross to make it completely viable where like I went and lived in Louisville and we, we rented a house. We had a motor pacer. We had a massage therapist. We had a cook. You know, we had all these things that were like, hey, this is what my focus is for the next 30 days and this is all I'm going to do. We had the warm-up race. I loved the warm-up race because I got on the podium. You know, I was on the podium with Niels Albert and um, who's the other guy that got Lyme disease and then ended up getting oh, banned. Uh, What's his bo- name? It wasn't Boseman's, was it? Yeah, we chose Boseman's. Yeah, in the warm-up race the weekend before, you know, I ended up running third and I thought, okay, this is actually all worth it. You know, this is what I'm here to do. I'm here to race against the European riders. There, everyone behind me was European and that made me feel, that made me feel like I had been doing the right work there. But I say it was possible because Roth and Focus were making that, you know, were making that, that those th- those those costs vanish for me, and I had a great team around me, and we were really in a prime position. I think that's a little bit of what I see. Sorry to keep going here, but just for one more second, that's what I see with the top riders now. Is that when you've got one, the way that the teams see a Wout Van Aert or a Mariana Voss, right? They see a really like athlete that's got their head on straight, that can deal with the pressure, that can do the training, that can take the training stress, they can do the travel, they can go from one place to the next. They always show up with a winning mentality. That's the riders they're going to invest in, right? And that's that European bike racing team thing. You really, it's it's a whole nother echelon of of um, dedication throughout the entire team. And Yes, CanandaleCyclocrossWorld.com is a beautiful program, right? Um, I'm sure Raylan's got a lot of support from her team. But what Yumbo Visma is doing and what these other teams are doing is probably different. You know what I mean? And I'm not talking about any any kind of like weird stuff there. I'm just saying their level of dedication to the craft, knowing these are like the best athletes in the world, they really see that. They focus in and they hone on that. And they make sure that, you know, they have every tool that they need to have success. Yeah, that's that. That's a huge difference that that I think we saw again. Yeah, from 2012 till 2000 now is just the. It it almost makes more sense for these riders to be privateers as opposed to being parts of teams, and we don't we don't see that anymore. Yeah, when Steve the Steve Tilford Foundation showed up this year, it was cool because it was another it was another program that had multiple riders. I mean, heck, the you, you know you look at uh, what. Eric Brunner building his own program almost, you know, in the, in the, in the Jeremy powers, uh, uh, template there, but on a smaller scale with that blue cycling build team, my gosh, they won three championships and got on a podium, you know, I mean, Sonny won single speed, um, Scott Funson won U23 and, uh, Eric won, won elites. And then, uh, Sonny also on the, on the podium for the elites as well. That's a, 
That's huge for a team that's basically running out of a trailer. You know, I mean, it's just so th- that level is 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 truly different. And we all know that. I mean, we don't have to again, we don't have to like that is such well-treaded ground that there isn't the money in cyclocross that there used to be. And that's that's kind of the biggest thing. And people are always like, well, all you need is to do is find somebody to invest in the sport. It's like, yeah, thanks, Einstein. That's what we've been uh, <laughs> trying <laughs> trying to figure out for the past for the past decade. And but on the positive side, I think what you are a part of this year and that I got to uh, play a small part in, in doing was was that USCX series and just having that GCN coverage. And I, I don't think we're going to fool anybody by saying that it went off perfectly this year. It was it was the first year. It was it was kind of like, you know, everybody getting to see in real time what was going on in, in the dress rehearsals. And, and I think by the end of the season, especially uh, with those... King's races, it was it was high quality uh, broadcast, but it definitely you know it took a while. And it just to add on to that, the other thing that I I, I think I mentioned this in in one of our uh, previous podcasts that we did, just about some of the issues that you and Marty are uh, find yourselves in every once in a while, especially with the multiple audio feeds and this kind of stuff, where where you know you're explaining to us what's going on. <clears throat> but I was happy to. <laughs> Not happy to see that, but it was like, okay, this isn't just because it's U.S. Cross. This is just something that's going on globally with the with the difficulty of putting on a broadcast that's going to different, you know, France and going to all these different places. That 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 happens. So some of those issues weren't like we don't know what we're doing here. It was just it's just it's just the nature of the beast. Never easy, you know. The tech the technology side, while it's improved greatly, is still. You know, you are at the kind of the whim of, of like, hey, how's, you know, has weather come in, right? You have a satellite. Now we've got weather problems, right? Uh, did, you know, did, did this uh, for some reason, is this thing down? There's always a hundred reasons, right? A rider runs into a camera. Someone, uh, you know, plows over a, a, a high optic fiber line. You know, there's literally there. I've heard every everything that can go wrong. I swear that at this point I have seen and I've witnessed. And you're just like, you know, you come to the race. They're like, this is the drama today and you're like okay cool well how are we going to fix it you know or what like how are we going to march forward because you know there were there are times when you're just kind of you know I'm not even going to try to go into the to the mini dramas that happen out there but it's not always just like hey rock up you know you've got this beautiful feed with 16 cameras and you can see what's going on sometimes it's a lot more complicated than that and I think you know you try to you try to make a show out of it the thing that I said at the end of the USCX season is that I was really um happy to be a part of the the kind of inaugural coverage that was available, right? The series, yes, it didn't have an overall prize purse, but um, you know we were able to get uh, a level of coverage that these riders deserve and start retelling their stories in kind of a 2021, 20, 22 way, right? We, we Back in the day, it was like, hey, we only have money to do a behind the barriers or to do the shotgun interviews and send them up and do a post-production type thing, right? Or we get one race live, which was to be the national championships and maybe Providence or something like that. You know, it's a, it's a shame because how are those races remembered? Maybe, maybe through, you know, your coverage, Tom Parsons, right? There are, there are places where these coverages exist and where people do good work and we get course walks and we get this stuff. We really need the next, the next cog in the wheel is that live coverage. It is that, Hey, pre-race, this is what the interview is. Hey, post-race, this is how you felt. Boom, podium, that's it. You know, that's what people expect now. That's the level that we should all, you know, try to get to and, 
I think we're in a really lucky spot. We give the riders that are doing all the hard work the opportunity to showcase themselves on the on the highest level with as much access as we can get. These riders are now taking the people that are following them here and they're racing at the front in Europe. Hey, that is that is textbook on how you grow a sport. So I look at it at a much longer view. Were we ahead in 2013 when we did this the first time? We absolutely were. But you know, we're 10 years down the road. A lot of stuff has happened in between there and you got to start somewhere. You got to kind of draw a line in the sand and walk forward. And I, I really, in my mind, the USCX series, whether it's the USCX series or it's a different series in the future, whether that series grows and has a prize person, having a collection of races that the best riders are at, that we have live television coverage at, that they can showcase their skills and we can talk to them and we can hear how it went. That That is a huge cog in everything that kind of, um, is in its orbit. You know what I mean? That's really should be in my mind. That's kind of the, the, the earth and then everything around it can exist and they can do, they can all be, they can all be really good if, um, if that exists because really that's, um, yeah, that's how the riders are going to build their names. That's how they're going to, that's how the stories are going to get told. And that's where things are going to come off of because if the riders don't, um, don't have a platform to tell their story, not it's not for everyone. I don't see Clara Hunsinger wanting to do a podcast when she's at the top of the world ranking right now. She's not going to have the time. You know, this is where you, this is where the media can really help build Clara's name and let people be a fan of her work. And and um, you know, as one example, you know, yeah, no, I I think that's right, and I I, I do hope that it continues because it is a step in the in the right direction, and it is you know, having people see what you do is the most important thing out there and that's how you you get other people into the sport and you get non-endemic interest in the sport and i i I hope that it continues i hope gcn uh continues to broadcast those and and we're going forward from from everything i've heard these it will continue uh in in this upcoming season i believe it's a four-year deal in in you know unless someone opts out or a series can't happen for some reason but the way that i understand it now is that it is moving forward for next year and i you know, I look, I look at the riders too. And I think about sponsorship value. I just want to say this because I think it's important for 20 more seconds is that like, you know, this was streaming in people's homes on broadcast television. If you were watching Eurosport in on uh you know, on a September afternoon, you would have seen Magalie Rochette, um, and, and, you know, um, Clara Hansinger and, um, the other, the other riders going head to head in these races, battling, um, on your television set in your home. That's pretty cool. You know, when you can say that back to your sponsor, like, hey, where's the value in sponsoring cyclocross? It's like, hey, well, we were actually in, like, we were in 11 countries racing really hard, you know, uh, with commercials against it. And we were, you know, we were providing value. And, um, you know, that's a that's a nice, that's a really big feather in the cap for for American Cross is these compelling kind of battles that they found, um, they thought they thought had enough momentum and uh, enough talent in them to be able to put them on broadcast is a big deal. Digitally, very, very important for the hardcore fans. But to grow it, to build these names up, to be in people's houses with the t- in the t- on the television is a is a pretty big deal. Okay, we we could keep talking, I think, for another couple hours, but I'm gonna uh, stop it here with this question for you. Putting you on the spot, the obvious question, but still putting you on the spot. Who are your picks for Worlds in Arkansas? Oof. Oh man, well, based on what I saw of the course, I think it would be. Uh, Ah uh, man, on well let's say let's say on the under twenty three uh, women's side, that's an interesting race to me. You know, I don't, I just, I don't want to like. I would say that it's, I don't know enough about it, and I also haven't seen it. But 
my sense on that track is that Femme Van Empel has got to be like squarely on repeating as the world champion just based on her form. Under 23 men, weirdly, I'm, I'm interested in what Cam Mason can do. I know that's crazy, but he's been very strong on the right kind of course. I'll be interested to see how he can go. But of course, Pim Runhar is a second, you know, as like, as the guy that I also think is very, very strong. And, you know, they, these are repeating world champs. Um, Niels Vandeputa uh, also is an interesting guy for that race. Uh, you know, you see him every weekend. He's just outside. He's just lurking in the top 10, top five. You know, he's been fifth now at two World Cups. Vandeputa is very strong and uh, he could be dangerous at the under 23 Worlds on a course like that in bad conditions. Um, and then on the elite side, I think that this has got to be, it's just weird because I, I say on a reverse because of her ability to have come into last year and, um, and do the race that she did at the world championships. She's won a lot of titles. She knows how to get ready for the world championships and she's been able to base her training and get and dig really deep as a dark horse. But I think that if, um, I had to pick just one, I would say, I would say Mariana Voss right now. I know that that's going to, that's going to break a lot of hearts, but Voss has been able to pick and choose her program and have that level of support from Yumbo Visma that, um, that I don't think she had found at another team. And they, like I was saying earlier, they've really ID'd her and brought her to, to a, I think a level that she's, she's wanted and like been like, Hey, I am the queen. And if you give me like queen support, I'm going to produce. And she has pretty much every single time she showed up, she's been like, Oh, you know, shoot. <laughs> Marriott of Oz is here now. And so that, and then on the men's side, uh, that's a lot, that's a lot different story. Just, we just haven't seen what's happened here. But, um, I mean, at this point, I, I, Tom Pitcock has got to be my, my pick. Um, and I say that because Pitcock is technically the youngest and in theory, uh, in my mind, the hungriest and has the most to prove. That's why I say that. So nice. I think they're all very talented, but those, yeah. uh, that's where I sit. All right. Last, last, last prediction question. Yeah. On the women's side, first non-Dutch woman. Um, <laughs> so, uh, assuming um, Blancava will be, be doing be doing the U twenty three, or or do you think that she's jumping up to to the elites? I can't bl- I can't remember what she did because she did the Euros um, in the elites, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I would I'll just I'll just answer the question twofold, right? First North American and first non-Dutch. You're right. It's Blanca Vosh for sure. Um it, she's taking a break now and when she comes back in, I think that she is again shown herself talent-wise to be of, of one of the best. So so Vosh is is definitely like got to be in fact, I mean she she could win the race, right? <laughs> she could. She could win the, the this this race. Um so yeah, so Vosh and then I I I have it's tough. It's really a crapshoot. I think Clara, based on what she's already done here, has got to have a great shot. But I, I mean, the way that Rochette's been riding and the consistent that she has, you know, today wasn't her race, but man, she's been she's been on an absolute tear right now in Europe. She really has. She's she's out she's outdone. I, I think even maybe her own expectations. I mean, she's been on the podium. She's been at the front. She's been in the top four or five. She's really become kind of like a main figure in the front group right now. So. Yeah, her confidence is growing, and if it continues to grow through you know this Christmas period and into uh, into the worlds, we'll kind of watch out. You know what I mean? I, that's that, that I I could not be happier for her just because 
it's it seems like it's it's been a frustration going to Europe year after year. You know, she's only twenty eight, but at the same time, that's always been like do great in North America, and never be able to kind of crack the code in Europe, and just just to see that success has been has been one of the highlights of the season for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I am happy for 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 Mags too. Yeah, she's great, and she's got a she's just yeah she's a little bit of a ray ray of light in those interviews, isn't she? She's always got a lot of good energy. She's big time extrovert. I obviously like that because I am also extroverted. But uh, no, she wears it on her sleeve. She likes to say how it is, and she's yeah she's great to follow on social media. She tells us her side of the story all the time. But um, yeah, she's got a lot of lot of racing coming up, so she'll have to she'll have to pick and choose her her fights as well as she gets into the uh, kind of the heart really of the of the cross season now with the. Christmas period. Fantastic. Jeremy, always awesome to talk to you. Thanks so much for uh, for taking the time. And uh, I look forward to um, uh, uh, viewing you from some other country other than my own tomorrow morning and uh, and, and seeing how Nomura ha- uh, shakes out. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, man. It's always a pleasure to be on. Great to, great to chat with everyone. Thank you for having me. Dear cycling friends, we accept the fact that we have created the premier gravel and road racing podcast, but we don't think you're crazy to ask us who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a hobby blogger, a gravel pro, and a curious newbie. And you can find us on the Wide Angle Podium Network. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours the Grodio Podcast.